Welcome to the Realize Today podcast. Today, I got my good friend, Alexander Hill, with me. Welcome, Alexander. How are you doing today? Awesome. Thanks for having me, Tommy. Of course, man. Of course. So, yeah, I'll, I'll start with uh, community. We, uh, Me and Alexander have overlapping community in Austin. Uh, we got to know each other in the last year or so, maybe like eight months. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you, man. Um, and learning a little bit about your journey and, uh, you know, what brought you here. So excited to have you on, man. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just start with that. What, um, you know, being in Austin, so many different things to do and, and awesome communities around. Um, what has been uh, a big part of your journey in meeting people and being a part of communities and what has that been like for you in Austin? Mm, great question. So my journey has been a lot about giving and receiving. And I, I identify as a men's coach. So, <laughs> so I, I would say as a men's coach, as a leader, as a speaker, as somebody who uh, really puts themselves out there in service to others, I've learned a lot in the past couple of years, especially since the pandemic and the past three years in particular, about how much I can give and then how much I'm supported. So I think a lot of us have learned these lessons over the past couple of years. Um, a lot of us have really big hearts and we want to help and we want to serve and we want to open up healing centers or retreat centers or, you know, open our homes to healing work and all of these types of things. And uh, my wife and I, you know, have been together for about six years now and we definitely did a lot of that. And I think after doing a lot of that, we've learned a lot of lessons, you know, of what that is about and what it means to really support people and to coach people and to be there for others in community and what's sustainable and what's not. Awesome. And so, you know, before you came over here um, and what were you doing before that? Um, you know, in learning these lessons and, and being in community, um, mm -hmm. I'd love for you to express a little bit more um, of what you do. You know, you say men's coaching, and I know your wife does work in those realms. And, um, you know, if you had to get a little more specific, um, what exactly does Alexander do? Sure. Well, the hero's journey has been a part of my life and every man's life. It's something that we all go on together. So it's really understanding purpose as a man and, and guiding men into purpose and their highest gifts and their highest calling and uh, defeating the lesser self, the lower self. That's basically trying to sabotage us with addictions and uh, all of these tendencies that want to bring us down. So I, I really believe it's a battle and anybody who says it's not a battle, you know, might not know a man's journey. I think there's men that suffer more specifically with addiction and others that may, might not have as much trouble. But I think we're all on that journey of believing in ourselves and loving in ourselves and trusting in ourselves and creator and that co-creation uh, each and every day. So what I do is, you know, remind people of the divinity within them and uh, lead by example and really just sharing my journey openly, vulnerably of like the good, bad and the ugly. And it hasn't, my life hasn't been easy um, in a lot of ways from, you know, high school and 
you know, getting diagnosed bipolar to a near-death experience to, you know, a lot of ups and downs in my life, success, and then, you know, going broke, and then success. It's like just a lot of uh, roller coasters of lessons and uh, hardship and, and also just teachings and understanding. And, and I started a group called Man Tribe about five years ago in Venice uh, with some friends and partners. And we, uh, you know, the whole idea behind that was like to get back to the way that we are supposed to be as human beings and specifically as men. So the whole tribal culture and the whole tribal way of life is fascinating to me because I grew up without a tribe. I grew up without a culture, essentially. Um, not that my ancestors and grandparents didn't have cultural ties, but a lot of it was just lost, and it wasn't taught to me growing up. And I think most of us can share you know, in that experience. Um, at the same time, you know, a, a lot of people I grew up with, like I was one of the few white kids in my high school. I grew up in the Bronx, and uh, a lot of the immigrant families and kids I went to high school with did have cultures. They were Dominican, Jamaican, Puerto Rican, um, or from parts of Africa. And, you know, they, they had cultural ties. Their parents had just, you know, came to the U.S. So they, they practiced the ways of their culture. They ate the food of their culture, right? And, you know, as an American, I was eating like pizza and mac and cheese, like, <laughs> you know. So I think, I think just understanding you know, self-identity and understanding where you're from and what that means. It's really, really important. So for people like myself, I'm not going to say us because I don't know your journey fully, but for people like myself, I really had to, you know, become Sherlock Holmes of my own self-identity and understand my ancestry and understand really what feels good and what resonates with me. And that's what drew me to the red road. That's what drew me to... Uh, learning, you know, tribal songs and learning from other other cultures in order to better understand my own identity and my own ancestry. Um, so, so yes, definitely like borrowing from other cultures because that's the best idea I could come up with. And the, the I, I know a lot of us in the communities, whether it's vision questers or, you know, people on the Sundance path, they're they are like borrowing from other cultures. They weren't, this isn't their culture. They weren't raised in that way. So I, I don't see anything wrong with that as long as there's respect and reverence. And also at the same time, it's such a gratitude that we have to have the fact that, you know, the indigenous people are opening their hearts to us and sharing their ways with us when, you know, they've been oppressed by people who look like us, right, and our ancestors. So it's it's such a beautiful thing, and it's, it's also a necessary thing because they feel like they need to do that because if they didn't, and so on some level, um, you know, we might not have a planet anymore if people weren't waking up. Uh, you know, they, they have to, you know, a lot of indigenous communities and tribes have opened up their secrets and opened up their ceremonies and opened up their ways in order to save the planet. So it, it really is, um, it's not about any individual. It's really about the collective at this point and what needs to get done for the bigger picture. So 
so yeah, there's a lot of topics there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I agree with so much of what you said, um, first from, um, being on that path of putting everything out there. Um, you know, it's, it's the way that I've decided to operate my life and, and it's the only way I want to operate my life. You know, it helps me stay in better truth and, you know, all the way up to, um, you know, men's work, you know, I've, I've done very much men's work. It's been such a, a huge part of my life. And it's like, I, I was just craving more and more and more. And now toward, um, toward, you know, being in these newer communities, um, you know, I agree so much with the, you know, the responsibility that we have to, um, you know, honor these sacred traditions and realize how blessed we are to uh, be learning some of these things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's like there's this intersection um, toward where, you know, something new, it seems like that hasn't happened before of um, these ancient traditions and um, entrepreneurship. And it could totally, um, Mm -hmm. there's, there's room for things to get a little bit messy and it's important, you know, for us to really listen to the elders, the, the way that these traditions have been passed down. Um, so we could continue, you know, to, to learn them in the way that they were created and, and pass them down in that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. When it comes to entrepreneurship, you bring up a good point. Uh, I, I see it as very simple and, and really to be a conscious entrepreneur, you need to be evolving yourself and needing less and less materially as you go along, mm-hmm. especially on this path of service. Once you realize that the most valuable thing that you're going to get on this path is an experience, it changes everything. It's not a car. It's not a house. It's, you know, we're going to get far more heart opening and and ancestral healing and wisdom and these things are worth are truly priceless so once you realize that that's that's what's really valuable and that's the those are the real gems along the way you'll change your perspective and then you become an an entrepreneur for your family for your community for the greater community for you know assisting the indigenous and and learning how to do that because it's not as easy as people might think, right? You don't just show up to a reservation or show up to a tribe and just give them money. It, it, you have to develop a relationship and it's a reciprocity. You know, this path is about reciprocity because it, it's, a, it's, it's a two-way street, right? You're, you're going to get wisdom and teachings from people that might not have as much materially, and then you're going to donate or you're going to um, assist them with a fundraiser or <clears throat> take a retreat down to a village in Mexico like my wife and I did. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it, it's not this old paradigm of you're going to heal yourself until you're healed and then you're going to lead and serve. It doesn't work like that. The way that it's it's been for me is you're going to continue on your path of healing. You're going to continue on your path of service and you're going to evolve with the people that are on the path with you. And, and you're going to evolve with those 
reciprocal relationships of your elders and uh, your spiritual guides and mentors and those people that are assisting you. So it really is, it's a co-creation, it's a power with, it's not a power over or uh, nobody, nobody's like teaching us in, in this like old paradigm type of, type of mm -hmm. way. Right, so so there's really no expectations. It's kind of like this experiment, where we're all showing up with our best intentions, and then we go on that journey together, and we see, you know, what needs to get done, and then that's where community becomes so important. Yeah, yeah, I feel you on that, man. And uh, yeah, as you talk about sacred reciprocity, um, that's been something for me that seems to move the needle the most. But I've struggled with it. You know, it's like I found um, the conditioning that I've had um, being raised in uh, American culture and, um, you know, the, the laws of, of giving and receiving. And even, you know, as I started down the, the spiritual path, you know, going whatever that means, um, going down that path and, um, you know, for years, just not really understanding the concept of sacred reciprocity. Um, and then I met some people who, who really embodied uh, those qualities. And I, I was mind blown by them because um, they, they seemed to have endless energy. They ran on the spirit of like giving, giving their energy, being generous all the time. And it seemed to be this, this, uh, this flow of energy that just kind of like fills them up all the time. And I was fascinated by it. Um, and so this was just in the last year. So that's kind of started my journey with um, learning about sacred reciprocity. And I still struggle with it. Um, but I find that when I am in that flow and I do get in that flow, um, it moves the needle as much as anything else in terms of my fulfillment, my connection with spirit and how I'm feeling. Um, and so it's one of my main focuses and I seem to teeter back and forth. It's like, I'll, I'll be in this, this, this state of just giving, you know, my energy and, and being selfless and then conditional will come back and, you know, I'll get a little like scarcity mindset and, and get a little mm -hmm. tight for a week. And then I'll be like, this is not the way I want to be. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the conditioning is the struggle. Um, I would say that there are still parts of my old conditioning um, that kind of can take the ship sometimes. And, and maybe I wouldn't even, conditioning is not the right word. It's more broad than that. The word I would probably use is just fear. Mm. You know, fear of there's not enough for everyone. Lack, so, lack scarcity, mm -hmm. limitation. Yeah. Thinking that if, if I give too much, there's not going to be enough for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. sure. It's like an automatic kind of like my mind kind of just goes there and then I find myself there and then I'm like, oh, here I am again. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, do you have you struggled with that, you know, in your process as growing up a man in America and learning these ways? What was your experience like um, in integrating them? Yeah, well, I, well, I think we're, we're sort of venturing out of um a lot of this wasn't necessarily in the indigenous community. This is just outside. Yeah, and, yeah. In mm. in the 
everyday life. Yeah, so and you know, so in in many different cultures, you so, know, so to speak, because mm-hmm. it's almost like when you're when you're on the spiritual path. I, I I've had to always ask myself, you know, what can I integrate, and you know, because American culture or American society is like this uh, beast. It's like this. <laughs> it's this really macro like like mainstream right so there's there's the mainstream narrative which isn't the narrative of my heart and it's not the narrative that i feel inside it doesn't the mainstream narrative very rarely if ever like aligns with um what i feel as a human yeah pretty much i think that's the whole point it's not supposed to so we can evolve right it's like direct contradiction to what I'm feeling inside and what I feel is good for humanity is the mainstream narrative, the opposite. So essentially my journey to answer your question, my journey has been a lot of that. It's because in my twenties, you know, I basically determined after my experiences in high school being diagnosed bipolar, misdiagnosed bipolar, and just having a lot of challenges with fitting in never felt like I fit in in high school, college, even my first career and in my 20s in commercial real estate in Manhattan. I never had a real place that made sense to me. So I was always sort of seeking and struggling and trying to fit into something. And then I realized I'm, I'm never going to fit into anything other than myself. So ultimately, um, this idea of exchange and this idea of reciprocity and being an open-hearted, giving person in a world that it feels like is taking from you, in a world that feels like it's not receptive to an open-hearted person, it's, it's going to take advantage of an open-hearted person, uh, I think it's all about your perspective. Because I, 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 a lot of people might not share this view with me, and I know a lot of people certainly don't, but I believe humans are good, like for sure. I've traveled enough. I've been all over the world. Humans are inherently good. Sure, there's some thieves and there's some people that are healing and you know, lots of compassion to different sectors of society where there's atrocious things happening. But I really believe in humanity. I think... Uh, a lot of the systems and wars and ways of the past have traumatized us, have separated us, have created all of these problems that get passed down. So we definitely have immense problems and societal and family breakdown that needs, it really needs eldership. It needs eldership and it needs the sacred ways to understand and to begin the healing process for a lot of these things that are just completely broken in our society. So, so yeah, uh, for me, it was like I went into real estate and I went into uh, making money for myself because my view before I had my near-death experience, before I really found God and connected to my spiritual path at 27. So from like 20 two to 27, but it was like those five years of making as much money as I could and hustling pretty hard because I believed the world was against me. And I believed that the world was a fucked up place and that I had to just get my money so I could be good and live in my own little world 
you know, go to my restaurants, go on dates, <laughs> travel. And I didn't really feel connected to the greater world or even a community for that matter. So I was very much like just getting for myself. And that was a pretty miserable existence. Sure, I was making money, but I felt very alone. And I just felt very uh, disconnected from the type of ex existence and experience I have now here in Austin as part of communities with you, for example. It's like there's no comparison, like what I was experiencing back then in my 20s and how disconnected and alone and sad I was, not having a purpose, not having a true connection to the work that I was doing or the people that I was doing it with. And, and that near-death experience that I had really put me into another realm. And once I had gone to that realm of oneness and interconnectedness, I tried to go back to real estate and connect and it just wasn't happening. Yeah. It wasn't happening. And a lot of my drinking buddies and a lot of the people <laughs> that I knew in New York, I could no longer really share with them the fullness of who I am mm -hmm. or who I was at that point. So that's when the real spiritual work and the real journey began because you have to take a hard look at yourself and a hard look at your social circle and your friends and you say, who am I? Are these people really my friends or are they just drinking buddies or chasing women buddies? Mm -hmm. Or do they only like me if I go talk to the girl and get the whole group of girls to come over and hang out with us? Do they only like me if I take shots with them? What, what's really going on here? You know, what do these people really want from me? So there was a lot of those dynamics at play and a lot of it was just fake. Yeah, yeah, I feel you on that. It's like, you know, I had to question so much... Um, I left my hometown and some relationships stayed for a little while. But then it's like when we're not together doing what we used to do, either drinking or getting high or something. And it's like, is there anything of substance that we really connect on? Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of those, uh, those relationships ended up ending. Um, yeah. It's like, uh, like if, 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 if your main activity together is checking out, then what what do you really have in common that yeah. you check out together yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like oh we play video games together or we gamble together or we you know get fucked up together yeah whatever that is it's like are we really even together are we really <laughs> even doing are we really even here no yeah, it's like two people that aren't present and you're just sort of like connecting on those shadow aspects and agreeing, it, it's it's almost like a friendship in a way. You're agreeing like like life is fucked up and tough, so we're gonna check out together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is how very we're well said. <laughs> I relate so much. <laughs> That's funny, man. And uh, you know, you touched uh, once or twice on your near death experience, and I don't want to just blow by that. Um, I'd love, you know, and this is one of my favorite things to talk about is, you know, everyone seems to have an interesting story about like, you know, what was the thing or, you know, oftentimes it's pain that led to that, that change of life or, you know, wanting um, mm -hmm. to open the heart and, and go down that path. Yeah. Well, I told you a little bit about the life that I lived in my twenties. So just picture like high pressure sales environment. Uh, was closing, you know, bigger commercial transactions, uh, leasing buildings and stores in New York City and Manhattan mostly. 
and it was just a, a very high pressure, like wealthy, mm, greedy type of world, competitive, highly competitive. So it w really was all about the money. And uh, that was, if you were making money, you were respected. And if you weren't, you were pretty much out of the business. There was no in between. So the people that stayed in the business, they had to keep closing deals. So it was basically like you did whatever you could to stay in the business and to close deals. And there was a culture. There was a culture of nightlife and partying. And I wouldn't necessarily associate it directly with the industry that I was in. But, you know, that's what was available. That's, you know, the legal the legal alcohol and and tobacco and then the illegal right underworld of you know all the uh recreational drugs that were a part of like that experience but definitely going out and showing off and spending money was part of my programming and was was considered cool and a status symbol in New York so I thought that was cool and then other people thought that was cool. And we were just all living a lie, basically. Because, you know, something happened in New York, I think it was in the 90s, with Bungalow 8, this club. And the whole hip-hop uprising with, you know, Puff Daddy and, and all, you know. When, when hip-hop became really popular in New York City, they became, they became bottle service. And when bottle service started, it went from like the 80s and before to like kind of this open format, open club, everybody dancing, partying, kind of like we have here in Austin. We don't really have bottle service in Austin too much. At least I haven't seen it here. Um, but this separation of like, okay, these are the VIP rich people and they're going to be partying over here. And this is like everybody else who just like, you know, doesn't have money mm -hmm. <laughs> or just paid regular admission. But a lot of times... Like I would be in the VIP section and I would be like opening up the gate to party with the people, you know, that were not. And I just like, what? This doesn't make any sense. This feels so weird that there's like a red rope here and I don't like it. I never liked it. Mm -hmm. And, but like the drinks were like flowing abundantly on that side. So it just throws you off. And then it's just, but it, it feels like that. It's like that in society too. Right, you have a, a smaller percentage of the people with a lot of the money that are hoarding the money, and they're not sharing it with everybody. But like, I was struggling so much in those environments because I have such a big heart and I wanted to share and be part of the people. Like, I come from a, a blue-collar, hard-working family, so I mean, I, I to some degree in my twenties, I had a lot of success. I made it, right? To, to a lot of people, they consider, hey, you made it. But inside, I was just like, ah, something doesn't feel right. Yeah. Something really doesn't feel right. And so the near-death experience was the buildup of all of that stress and all of those feelings of this doesn't feel right. My expression isn't coming out fully. Something is off inside of me, but I don't know what it is. The near-death experience was basically my heart stopping at Equinox at a, a workout with my personal trainer one day. And it was this huge wake-up call of my body just saying, you can't keep doing this to me. You can't keep treating me like shit. You can't keep neglecting me. 
and destroying me. You need to really discover who you are. You need to really connect with your spiritual self. So that was it. That was the day, you know, 27 years old. Uh, heart stopped. Spirit came out of my body. If you've seen the movie Doctor Strange, mm -hmm. there's a scene where that happens to him. Mm -hmm. It was kind of just like that. Wow. So there's this this spiritual energy, right? Uh, what do you call it? My energy body was basically looking down. My etheric energy body was looking down at my physical body. Oh, God. Yeah. For, for how long was that? You know, it was time just not really. It they told be... me it was about two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Two minutes. And then they were about to defibrillate me with, with the, uh, the, the defibrillator. And then I woke up before they did that. Mm -hmm. And now um, I'd love to talk about like um, maybe the immediate afterwards, maybe not immediate, but the week afterwards and the month afterwards. And that must have been such a sharp shift in your life. Um, did the wake up call happen immediately? Did it take you a while to, to grasp it? It was just confusion. I mean, I mean, at that point, like 27 years of living a certain way. The, the, maybe not 27 years, but basically one, when I was a child, I was pure and I was very connected to spirit and then life happens and programming sets in. And then, you know, you're at school, I went to public school, so it's not long before it's like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to be me, but it doesn't work like that in school. They're like, you have to be a firefighter or you have to be a, a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. Mm -hmm. So when that conditioning so let's just say it was like 20 years of conditioning and then this experience that's just not really understandable in the context of who i created myself to be mm -hmm. so just like absolute fear uncertainty uh just complete unknown and then on top of that i didn't have anybody in my social network or in my community to speak to or to connect with about this experience because they thought I was just crazy or they, they couldn't relate. Mm -hmm. They had no way of relating. Uh, so I felt very alone. And then that's when I'd say my hero's journey really began because before that I was atheist. I didn't really believe in God. I had so much confusion about God and I kind of was like one of those people who says, well, if God exists, why is the world so fucked up? And now I'm one of those people that is like, God definitely exists and the world is not fucked up. The world is amazing and beautiful and we have a lot of problems to solve and a lot of work to do. But ultimately, humanity is good. Uh, the earth provides us with massive abundance and so much amazing opportunity and love there's just infinite love in this universe and it's a journey to get as many people on board with that as possible so we can really uh exist on this planet i don't like to say heal the planet because we're not the ones that are going to heal the planet we're going to heal ourselves mm -hmm. and we're going to heal uh, each ourselves pretty much pretty much that's our own re only responsibility at this point and and a lot of what we've been talking about is with retreat centers and healing centers communities these types of things I've come back to like my main responsibility is taking care of me taking care of my health and showing up each and every day as a husband and a father 
and a member of my community. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Because if I'm doing that, everything's going according to the, the, the plan. Yeah. But if I get in my head and I'm like, oh, I have this ego and I think I'm supposed to be doing X, Y, Z and running this company. And a lot of that is just not truly authentic, I think. And you can get caught up in who you think you're supposed to be. And it's just not who you really are. Yeah. Yeah. And totally agree with that. And it's almost like, um, yeah, I see the planet's going to heal us. You know, what we have to do is let go a little yeah. bit more and more. Yeah. And, you know, the, and the planet, you know, even if humans disappeared, earth is just going to regenerate itself. It's like, we just need to stop doing the damage mm-hmm. and allow it to be. What it's, it it's a co-creation. It's like you've been in ceremony, especially with medicines like ayahuasca. It's like when you just let go and feel the medicine and breathe, you realize that everything's happening for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, like time stops or like, like things just get a lot easier when you stop trying. Yeah. And when you just sh- shut off your mind a little bit and just like, hey, nature's, we are nature and na- nature's got our back and we got nature's back as much as if we can really focus on that relationship of like, okay, I need to move energy. I'm going to go to the river and and do a cold plunge or I'm going to go sit out on the earth and ground or do some yoga. That's self-awareness. It's really like a co-creation of that self-awareness with nature and realizing like when we get back to nature and we understand ourselves and what we need, that we're going to be able to just be. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's so challenging. And I feel like, especially for men and and the personality of men to like, let go of everything, you know, um, I see a lot of pressure um, being placed on men, um, you know, always and nowadays. um, And, you know, speaking of a lot of the things that you said, um, it reminds me of, you know, in a little bit of your journey, um, we get to decide what game we want to play Mm -hmm. and it seems like there are these influences and and almost unwritten agreements that we have of like oh we're all going to play this money game oh or we're all going to play this popularity game or we're all going to play this other game and i feel like a huge part of the journey for men that isn't often talked about when we're children is like figure out who you are and you get to decide what game you want to play in this life. Mm-hmm. And the only way you could win is if you're playing your own game, you know, and by learning who you are internally. Um, what, and, what does winning mean to you? Uh, fulfillment, you know, like peace in your own heart. Um, that's what I mean by winning. Um, I'm sure we could slice it in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I believe to some extent that's that's what we're all seeking yeah yeah and so you know a big part of that for me was men's work you know I'd love to go a little bit into that and you know so you mentioned that you had some time where you didn't have um, community as you're going through that period Um, and then years later um, you decided to start man tribe Um, and I'm curious about your journey of um, opening up and, and being there, finding community with a group of men. And what was that experience like for you? Yeah. 
well. So basically how it went for me was 27 to 29. So after the near-death experience, I discovered ayahuasca. And I discovered a place in New York that I could go to that became a community of mine. So I began to heal, began to open my heart, began to ask questions uh, on the plant medicine and do the integration work. And you know, integration is a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast. But the level, if I can emphasize one thing on this podcast is I'm still integrating from 10 years ago, from a ceremony that I did 10 years ago. So it's like the level of integration that's necessary, like integration really is the path. Integration, you could just say there's no psychedelic experience, there's only integration. Because the psychedelic experience doesn't matter unless there's integration. So unless you bring something back and actually make a change in your life and don't go back into the same patterns, what did you do? You just got high. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you might have experienced a lot of beauty and danced and, you know, or had, you know, had a, a spiritual experience. But if you go back to the same life and you keep the same job and you don't change a thing, you just had a recreational experience. Mm-hmm. So, so really to have a spiritual experience, uh, it means you got to do the work and sometimes doing the work sucks and it's just absolute hell. And you got to face those parts of yourself and you got to do hard shit and you got to keep at it. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I really resonate with a lot of the, the masculine do hard shit culture with the, like the Jocko or the Goggins and a lot of these guys to a degree, because it's not going to be an easy journey for, for us men. It's just not. <laughs> And, and I think if we try to make, try to think of like, oh, it's all peace and love. It's all puppies and rainbows. It's not, it's fucking not. And you're going to face up against things in this life that are going to be very difficult, very triggering, and you're not going to know how to handle them. Yeah. And and that's going to be, I mean, this is the spiritual path. So it's just like preparing our mind, strengthening our body as much tra- like training not not necessarily like running 200 miles or but as much like training as you can do to just make yourself a stronger spirit and a stronger physical vessel so that when those challenges come you're ready yeah yeah i feel you on that and i'm i'm glad we're touching on both like the sides of the really letting go and surrendering and then to this whole mindset. And and I find myself like those tools for me are so essential to play in both of those areas. I'll go um, a month or two where I'm, you know, really in my feminine um, and I'm, you know, playing music and singing and like, you know, just flowing. Um, And then I'll, you know, I'll have a month where I'm just like, I call it Goggins mode. (laughs) I'm just like waking up running miles, like Mm -hmm. pushing myself as far as I can go. And both of those are such medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's important for all of us to experience it and maybe not to, um, you know, I really believe in balance and maybe I'm projecting because, you know, a lot of my path is around doing both of those, but I I believe either can be overdone, you know, and it's, it's super important for um, men to experience both. You know, if you haven't, um, leaned into one of those areas. There's there's a lot of room, and it'll actually expand your capacity mm-hmm. to work with the other side as well. Mm-hmm. My my vision of masculine feminine balance is like 
out there on the trails in mother nature with the trees and the forest and trail running and singing a song. Mm-hmm. So like singing a song while I'm running. Mm-hmm. So just like cruising along and just pretty much that being like life, just like cruising along at a steady pace. And then a bear comes and you deal with it and you, <laughs> you got to get back in the game, keep singing, you know, or, <laughs> or, or whatever, you know, it's just, it's just like, you got to exert the effort. You got to take the action. You can't just pray mm-hmm. all the time. At least in my, in my life, it's prayer plus action. Yeah. And then, and then contemplation, you know, sitting with the awareness and the results of like, okay, I, I prayed for this. I did this. This is what happened. That's not what I wanted. So back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. Let's do this again and get better at that whole process. Right. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's what like visualization and direction and purpose and manifestation is all about. You have to be clear in your mind. So if you're unhealthy, you're not clear in your mind. If you're, you're not clear in your gut and, you're, and if you're not clear in your gut, you're not clear in your mind. So it's all these factors that have to be addressed before you can really get clear on like who you are and where you're going. It's not, it's easier said than done. And, and I've gone in and out of like, moments of extreme clarity and then, you know, got back on some unhealthy foods and habits and fell off, you know, and just not been clear and then like get caught in these cycles and struggles and confusion of like, why can't I get back to that man that I'm meant to be? Why is there so much resistance? Well, there's some aspect of my life that's out of balance. There's something that I'm not really facing in myself right now. Maybe it's diet not enough exercise. What, you know, I think this is for a lot of men, right? It's just things get hard and that's when, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, but, but it's, it's, you got to get going. <laughs> you you got to really make when, when the stakes are higher, you got to take those actions that are really going to benefit you because yeah. you're just going to have, I, I think you're just going to have less and less opportunities as you get, deeper into life there's less and less opportunities to like make the same mistakes yeah yeah and i think that that ebb and flow of going through those periods where you might you know you might be going through a week where you're doing everything perfectly and feeling so aligned and then things change a little bit and i feel like it's inevitable because as we change um it's there's always going to be when we take that step forward, there's going to be equal and opposite resist resistance mm-hmm. to that. Um, and so it's like, you know, almost when you feel that resistance and you're wanting to escape it, it's a sign that you're working through something. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's just a matter of, um, you know, I believe one aspect of just getting better at, um, noticing and, you know, with coping mechanisms and, and how you're getting through that. But ultimately I see it as like, unnecessary step it's like a cycle gets completed and then a new cycle of discomfort is going to start and work through that and just over Mm -hmm. over over again yeah and and to go back to men's work Mm -hmm. so oh and lastly just just to clarify i said there were less and less opportunities to make mistakes well that's not necessarily true there's always opportunities to make the same mistakes Mm -hmm. right there's infinite opportunities to make mistakes right? That's the path of an entrepreneur is like failing and right. We, you have to fail a certain number of times, but I think there's less and less 
opportunity, there's less and less margin for error, so to speak. You know, if, if you want a certain outcome and a certain goal, there's less and less margin for error. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I like that word better. So, so the, the men's work journey for me began after I met my wife and actually after I got married. And then I realized I had never really had a long-term relationship. I, I had been in love. I had said, I'd love you to girlfriends. I hadn't had a girlfriend for more than two years in my whole life. And I didn't really know who I was. So when you say, I love you to a person, you really need to know yourself. And I think for most of my life, I didn't. I didn't really know who I was. So there, it was really hard for me to be in relationship with myself and with other people. So it wasn't until I got married and, and made that commitment to, to my life partner that that I realized I had a lot of work to do around myself and relationships. And sure, the plant medicine ceremonies showed me some things and assisted with that, but they weren't going to do the work for me. And a lot of that work had to be done in circle, had to be done amongst men around the fire, you know, with Man Tribe and with the men's communities and groups that I was a part of. I had to learn a lot about myself and I had to learn about myself in the reflection of other men. And, and in that vibe, in that, in that feeling of community and circle that I hadn't had, that conscious community of men that I hadn't had in New York. So that when, I, when we moved to Venice Beach, my wife and I, and we were married and, and uh, we had our child, that was the journey that I was on, was, mm -hmm. was, was working on myself and improving myself in a community of men that I was a part of. That's, that's really beautiful, man. And, uh, I really, my own journey and what I've, I've felt is like, there's nothing that motivates man to be better than falling in love. And I imagine having a child is that also maybe times two, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, um, I think it's the responsibility of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Because marriage, I mean, you see so many divorces now. Like, mm -hmm. people get married, they get divorced. When you, when you have a child, it, it, it changes that responsibility of marriage and also of being a parent. Yeah. And also, we were just listening to a podcast recently, or, and they were talking about how men have been failed by society. And they specifically referenced... The when men get divorced and men that have fathers get divorced, they lose half of their income or their assets and they don't get to see their kids as much. So the women basically, the women, the wives, they, they get more of the income and then they get more of the time with the children too. So there's something inherently difficult and questionable about the, the legal system and what's what's going on with men there so when it comes to marriage and fatherhood there there is you, you have a duty and that duty really comes first I obviously and you you know taking care of yourself is a must so it just becomes like you not only have to take care of yourself but you have to take care of these other people your wife and your kid and 
and it's, it's essential. So it just makes it a lot like when, when my son Phoenix was born and I held him for the first time, it's this shift that happens where it's just not about you. Mm-hmm. It's just not really about you anymore. And it's like, keep your vessel healthy and keep your body, but it's not about you. Like you're, you're part of this, but there's, you're part of this greater mission and, and, and you're part of this family too. And, and your role is, is clear and it's going to change some, somewhat things are going to change and your role might shift, but that responsibility is clear. Like yeah. you see this little guy and you see yourself in him and, and you just know like it's really, really, you see the purity of that soul and that baby and you just know like you, you don't want to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it gives you such a deep purpose and such a, a deep meaning and, and also a boost like this, this, this dad boost uh, like superpower so to speak yeah mm-hmm. of like it's almost like i'll be in the gym with like guys who aren't dads and i'll keep going because i'm a dad <laughs> and they'll get tired <laughs> right and it's like yeah. there's something there you uh-huh. know there's something there it's like a legacy piece it's it's like uh you know and you could not be a dad and have that too but you got to have like a really strong reason for like your life yeah and for me, it's like being a father. Mm-hmm. And there's other strong reasons I have for living and showing up, but that's definitely one of the greatest ones. Yeah. I always um, I always wanted to wait, and I, I was never really excited for fatherhood. But in this last year, something, a fire was stoked to me. I was like, man, like, I really, I really would love to be a father, you know, sooner. I used to be like, oh, when I'm 40, but like... There's never a right time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, when... when you're 40, it's going to be challenging. And if you had mm-hmm. a kid now, it'd be challenging. Yeah. So it, it's almost like if you had a kid now, you'd be more physically, arguably more, more physically energetic or able. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if you're 40, you could say you'd be more financially secure, possibly. Mm-hmm. Right. It's hard to say, but mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, it'll happen. If, if that's your intention, it'll happen just as it's yeah. meant to. And you'll get to say yes to mm-hmm. that. And, uh, yeah, just yeah. open up that possibility for yourself. Yeah, and it's uh, it's beautiful to hear the way that you talk about fatherhood, the way that you show up for your family, the way that you love for family. Um, I could really feel it, and the fact that it makes me even like feel that oh, you know, <laughs> I want to be a father. It's it's beautiful. Um, do you have any Do you have any pets? And no, but my roommate now has a dog, and I'm I'm getting a little bond with him. It feels good, and yeah. I grew up with dogs, so like you know, like. Oh, man me, so it's like a, it's like a pet times a thousand yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> that's uh, great yeah yeah they um kids need more attention than pets yeah and so um you mentioned how you know becoming a husband and a father inspired your journey um in men's work to like be a better man and i'm curious how um how the men's work translated to becoming a better father and husband. Um, what did that give you? What did that do for you? What did that make you feel that, that led to, um, growth and and greater purpose? Being amongst other fathers was one of the most beneficial things. So 
shout out to Kelly Gardner, shout out to Preston Smiles, all these guys that that uh, I've learned with and grown with over the years. Jetty Azuma. These guys were, were sort of lighthouses for me uh, to grow myself and to just know that being a conscious dad can be done and you can it can all be balanced. So there were definitely a lot of men in different groups and just support that I've received over the years that was just so powerful. And once I became a father, it was really, really helpful to get support and 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 uh, talk to other fathers because it, it's, it's just a, a different resonance. And obviously men's groups and support and connection with men that aren't fathers is super important too. I think something just shifts there. And like since I've been doing men's work and been in different groups, I met so many guys that have like so many kids. I met a guy with like seven kids. Uh, and like... And then also these like larger families where you, you know, the, the woman has kids, it's like the second marriage or something. And, uh, the, you know, so the families get combined and now there's like seven, eight kids and it's interesting. And, uh, I mean, I have one and it just seems like, I don't know, there's something that happens when you have a lot of kids that I've, I've witnessed and. It, they play with each other and it, it kind of gets easier when you have a lot of them and there, there becomes like a little community of its own. <laughs> but, um, I've heard they learn to almost take care of each other in mm -hmm. some ways, mm -hmm. you know, the older ones, um, take care of the younger ones and it must be, I, I would love to, you know, be a fly on the wall and then watch how that little community uh -huh. works, you know, but really as a dad, I mean, it's been such a healing journey for me. Mm hmm to just witness my son and and to see his energy level and enthusiasm for life and then to remind myself that I have that that same joie de vivre it's like love of life and just this inherent joy mm -hmm. and in Brazil they say so, so alegria which is just only joy just mm -hmm. this purity of of vibration where it's just optimistic and positive and just keep going, like infinite go. Just uh, just this beautiful, beautiful energy mm -hmm. of, of watching my son. And uh, he's just such a blessing to my wife and I. And, you know, it's a, yeah, it's just such a powerful, powerful reason to show up and become better. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, you know, I've seen you interact with your son. I've met your son and, um, I've seen you post some like playful videos with him. You know, I find, uh, a big part of my journey. And as I talk with other men is, you know, things get really, really serious uh, at certain points and, um, you know, tapping into that, uh, that inner child and that playful side. Um, it's, it's important for us to, to get back in touch with that side. Um, have you always, you know, kind of had a playful side or, you know, have you witnessed, um, you know, how maybe playing with your son has, has allowed you to dive deeper into that? Um, I've talked to other fathers about this. I'm curious mm -hmm. if you've noticed that. It's a, it's a letting go that happens. It's, it's playfulness, dancing, 
it's working with the energy too. Like my son likes certain movies and we've kind of got him, got him off of the tablet, got him off of the tablet and, uh, have managed his relationship with technology. Um, but every now and then, like I, I, I select movies that would be good to watch together. So like last night we watched like, like old movies too, like classics, like, like 101 Dalmatians was made in like 1960 and obviously like Disney has references and like you know innuendos and things like that but it's like whatever you know there's like a guy smoking a pipe and it's like seeding the kids to smoke tobacco when they get older but like I'm not worried about that (laughs) I'll teach them how to smoke tobacco (laughs) but uh but um let's see uh, just this playfulness, right? So it's like it's playing with the energy and like me becoming a kid again and me activating my inner child to just, just to play with my son. So it's this heart opening and this like really beautiful thing that happens, this medicine that happens when I'm just playing with my kid and everything else has to just stop. And, and that's what happens. Everything else just stops and I'm right there in the present moment with him playing the little fish game with the magnets or hungry hippo or jenga or whatever the hell we're doing painting doing science experiment volcanoes with baking soda like he's just he is just so eager to learn and it's just such a cool thing to be part of so and also he's going to a great school waldorf and my wife and i are super proud of him, of that that we, we just moved to texas and we got him into that great school mm-hmm. so we're really uh grateful and blessed to be on this journey with our little man yeah, that's beautiful, man. Yeah, I've yeah. heard really, really good things about about Waldorf, and yeah, we we both didn't go to a school like that. My wife and I. She grew up in Brazil. I grew up in in New York City. So we, you know, we both went to public school, and now I'd like to just get our son into this education where we believe in the model and we believe in the teachings on every level. Feels feels really good to us. Yeah, yeah. I have the same sort of concerns um with you know the traditional school systems and just um parts of me that um things i wish i learned you know um about the earth about you know communicating with other people emotional intelligence being in harmony with the earth and it's like those are the most important things i wish i learned um well maybe i'm missing, missing out on some things but you didn't learn them, and and now you really learn <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's almost like you had to you had to learn the opposite in order to like really learn. Yeah, and appreciate it, and appreciate. It. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to uh, change the tone a little bit to um, from the past to the now. And uh, what are you working on now? You know, I know you're a men's coach. Um, what are you creating? What are you passionate about? What is what does that look like? Sure. Well, being a men's coach and and working in these communities, so we started this community man tribe, being a leader in that way is is definitely a part of who I am. And I'm at this, this really interesting part of my life where I'm like really deep diving into myself as an income producer, as a provider for my family, as a businessman, and then also who I am in community. So there's some things that I just do for free and, and it's just like my gift, my gift to the world. And then there's other things that I do to make an income. 
So I've really, over the past 10 years, I've really like analyzed myself and, and also the world and what works and what people pay for and what people sort of expect. And, you know, maybe you're a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist and what people pay for that. But I mean, the paradigms are shifting and obviously the coaching industry has exploded. So really just, you know, what am I working on? What am I doing? I'm creating experiences. I'm creating experiences and retreats and communities of men. And I'm also at the juncture of making offerings that are just going to be direct problem solving solutions. So I have a lot of solutions to a lot of problems that men have, whether it's diet, um, shamanic, uh, sacred plants online is something that I started and my wife assists me with. It's, it's, it's a beautiful mission where we're educating people about cacao, tobacco, and coca, right? So those three sacred plants are indigenous medicines, and our society, to me, it's like the perfect uh, juxtaposition of like, okay, these three plants are clearly medicines in the tribes and indigenous cultures, but then in American mainstream culture, they're poisons, right? You take something like cacao, you take out all the nutrients and do this Dutch alkalized process where basically all the, the minerals and the nutrients of the raw cacao become shot. And it just becomes uh, just denutrified. And then you have coca, which is in like chocolate ice cream and Hershey's. And then they add milk and sugar to it. And then ends up being 51% sugar and poison. So people get addicted to that sugar. And then they're addicted to chocolate. But that's not the same chocolate as, you know, getting it from nature and getting it and preparing it sacredly and intentionally so i think there's a lot of education there about cacao ceremony and how to open your heart with this medicine it's not valentine's day candy it's like going deeper with that tobacco is another is another medicine that is labeled as poison by our culture and society and cancer and you know a lot of people are just smoking their emotions negative emotions into their body and they are unaware of what they're doing and tobacco is a master plant. It's a carrier of intention. It's a carrier of power. And people are stressed out and they're just using it, using and abusing it to get a lift, to get a buzz, and to just get their brain back on track so they can work the job they hate some more. Or they're drunk and they want to get a lift, just like with cocaine, right? So cocaine is the last... Uh, Poison, which I believe is actually a poison of the spirit. I mean, it's it's pretty clearly is. I mean, just look at Wolf of Wall Street and what it does to, right, the the infinite wanting and the infinite need that just never seems to end mm -hmm. on cocaine, right, where people are just so relentless that they're hungry ghost, hungry ghost, right. So they call it the White Devil for mm -hmm. that reason, right. Mm -hmm. But but we got to understand how cocaine came to be. It was this plant has been around for thousands and thousands of years I and mean, used by indigenous cultures of the Andes, Peru and Colombia. And, yeah. So mama coca basically in the, not that long ago, maybe 200 years ago, something like that. There's 18 alkaloids in the coca plant. And one of them was isolated and deemed to be 
the strongest, like cocaine, and they basically did this process where, just like they did to the the cacao, they isolated, or they took out a lot of the nutrients and a lot of the alkaloids that are super beneficial, and superfoods, and they just got this active ingredient. And this is what a lot of the pharmaceutical companies are doing with plants from the Amazon, and and pretty much a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs is they're taking away the the spirit of the plant and they're just extracting this molecule which is going to be effective it's going to be strong but you're missing the whole point you're missing the whole wholeness and the whole beauty of the medicine so these are the types of things we educate people about and and this is really our mission and we have a lot of missions within that mission and uh, we've done this for the past six years, ever since we sort of heard the prophecy of those three plants, tobacco, cacao, and, and mama coca. Mm -hmm. So just the education there is very, yeah. very important. And then, uh, yeah, just just being a being a lighthouse and being a wealth of knowledge and experience that can introduce people to different ways of being and different ways of consuming or different ways of ritual. So instead of just waking up and needing coffee to maybe shift into a ritual with their coffee or an honoring of their coffee and then realizing maybe at some point that the coffee might not even be good for their body and shifting over to cacao or matcha and then recognizing the, the ancestral origins of those plants and then creating your own. So, so really for me, it's, that's really what changed my life. It's this way of living and this way of communing with plants and animals and, and everything. But really in this case with like plant medicines and, and uh, just everyday interactions with what we put in our body that becomes us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it goes even as far as the food we eat, you know, the, the salad, the, the meat, the fruit, you know, it's all coming from, from the earth and, mm -hmm. and it really um, extends out to, to everything. Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is why it's important that if you don't grow your own food to know your farmer and sacred hunting, right? To Like all of these things seem like, I mean, to people living in cities, a lot of this might seem impossible. But I mean, I'm from a city and I just believe it's possible. And here I am in Texas, you know ready to go hunting and, and ready to, to learn, you know, to learn these things and just keeping an open mind. Like, yes, I want to learn the sacred truth of what it means to get your food. I want to learn what that connection is really about, what that reciprocity is really about. I've already learned a little bit. I know how to make offerings. I know how to give thanks. I know how to talk to spirits and talk to plants and and the same thing is done when you take an animal's life. You're talking to that animal. You know, thank you for providing for my family. Thank you for giving me nourishment. I'm gonna eat every part of 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 your vessel. I'm gonna eat every part of uh, of what you've given me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, may this meat make me strong so I can continue to to hunt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. So that's something that's that's a piece in my journey that I'm leaning into is is hunting and and wanting to heal that part of me that's like has eaten meat for many years and then like not had that connection. So even to the point where I'm like 
eating less meat and just being more conscious of like where the meat I get comes from. And, and, uh, really wanting that experience and yeah. really wanting to introduce my son to that too. Yeah. That, that must be a, a beautiful, a beautiful way to connect with your son in that way and mm -hmm. teach him. And, um, yeah, it makes me think too, just how deep that relationship goes, you know, um, as you talk about, you know, how much more there is to learn and where you want to go and, and the things you want to learn to integrate. It's like, I see it as this infinite spectrum of the feeling of connection. And there's no like getting to a place of, Oh, I learned this and, I'm and that's it. it's just <laughs> like, how deep do you want to go into uh -huh. it? You could keep going and, and connecting deeper and deeper and finding more and more meaning and connection. And mm -hmm. I heard a perspective recently on another podcast and it was, it was this man and he said that, you know, I only learn what's going to make me most effective and most useful. And to me that sounded kind of sad because I, I couldn't really feel his, his joy and his love for life. And Obviously, being efficient is part of the equation. We want to be efficient. We want to be effective as men. At the same time, if that's all that life is about, it can get very dry. And uh, I, you know, I, I didn't sing growing up. My father wasn't much of a singer, but I took it upon myself to sing more. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy it. Yeah. So just really doing those things where like you enjoy just to sing or just yeah. to just to go hiking in nature and just not with those things that have no expectation tied to them where you yeah. just feel feel beautiful yeah even that that word efficiency it just like it, it almost makes me think of like you're reducing human down to a function you know as if it's mm -hmm. it's not a living breathing human you know it's like we're we're not here to just complete a function efficiently you know we're here for so much more than that the the wide variety of experiences and feelings and emotions and connection we can experience um that's what i see um that's what i live for mm -hmm. you know? well for the structural things right the, like mm -hmm. the masculine is the structure and the container that supports the feminine mm -hmm. which is this beauty that we're talking about so if we don't build the house or chop the wood, there's no fire. If mm -hmm. we, if we don't do those things efficiently, we're not going to get them done by the time. If we don't get the tent up before the storm comes, like mm -hmm. there's certain things that do need to be yeah. very efficient. Right. But I think it's like, obviously mm -hmm. like we need to get those things done and then we can play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I think, I think for a man, it's really important to understand that and, and for an initiation to happen, where it's like, yes, you can live a really beautiful life as a man, but you gotta you gotta put that work in and, and be efficient at those things that you're good at in order to serve your community. Because if then what are you doing? Otherwise, yeah. you're just you're just like a child. And I think that's the main difference between a child and and a man is a child is provided for, and can play and spill things and just mess. It doesn't child doesn't need to be efficient mm -hmm. so much. But a man, I think does and once once the needs are met he can enjoy himself kind of yeah it's, it's inevitable I mean, but here's the here's the real beauty it's enjoying the process i was gonna say yeah enjoying uh -huh. the chopping the wood enjoying the building the house yeah. mm -hmm. 
enjoying the whole process of like your service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where you got to really, you know, you can't think of it as like a burden. You got to think of it as a, an awesome opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the gift that connection brings, you know, when you really know your why and what you're doing it for, those things get to be enjoyable. The work gets to be enjoyable. The hard gets mm-hmm. to be enjoyable. Exactly. And then that's what we were talking about before. It's finding the, finding the joy and the discomfort and then just realizing like, you know, if you're on mile 23 of a marathon or you're doing this like really long, arduous, hard thing to just go into this mode where you're just loving it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and like the ice bath, that's why the ice bath is such a big part of my life mm-hmm. because it's just training. It makes a few minutes in that ice bath make a, a, a many hours of my my life outside of that ice bath easier. Yeah, yeah. So it's just conditioning and training. Like I would absolutely make that trade any day of the week. A couple minutes for a couple hours of like more flow and more less pain totally. and just regular life. Totally. So. Yeah, and I, I could totally relate with the ice bath. I, I've never had one before. I just got one about 20 days ago. Oh, Tw- you have one here? Mm-hmm. Cool. 20 days in a row now with a cold plunge. It's like life-changing. Yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 really, uh, it really is a game-changer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I'd love to, you know, just thank you for, for coming on and, and wrap up a little now. But before we wrap up, you know, I would love for you just uh, tell the people, you know, where they can find you, you know, what, what you're offering um, anywhere. If you enjoyed this conversation, um, anywhere you'd like that to direct them to, to connect with you. Sure, sure. Well, I'm alexander.e.hill on IG. And then there's man.tribe on IG as well. And the Sacred Plants mission is sacredplants.online. So that's what we're up to. Those are the things we're doing here in Austin at the moment. And there's a couple new exciting things about to launch. So definitely make sure to to get involved and feel free to reach out to me. And uh, I'll keep you updated with our list of events and offerings. And uh, my wife and I have done over 100 events in the past six years. From Cali to Oregon to Arizona. And now we're in Texas. So just really really grateful for all of these things that we've done all of these years. And, uh, we'll definitely do be doing more cacao ceremonies in Austin. I know she's already got a whole bunch on the calendar and, you know, I go and help out and support those. And I mean, I love cacao and I love sound healing and music and all these things. So just really creating those beautiful experiences to bring us all together. Just going to a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, let me know when those cacao ceremonies start up. Yeah, you know, I'd yeah. love to come through. And then on the, like the complete juxtaposition is like you know sacred combat and like mm. you know going into these men's communities and just getting involved in the physical and then like you know beating each other up and then going to sit in a cacao ceremony feels even better. <laughs> yeah right right it's all it's about a, the contrast exactly and, and it's uh, almost like when i first started on this journey i was like man life is beating me up so much i just want to do sound healing and cacao sound baths and cacao and la 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 right? <laughs> just like chill and you know I, I i i was neglecting that part of myself that's an athlete and that loves to do hard shit mm-hmm. right so i think it's just all about it's it's about doing both 
It's really just like the masculine and the feminine. And I think that's how we really under, like learn about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah. Any last words? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This is great. And uh, yeah, grateful to know you and to witness your journey and to see you in Austin doing your thing. So just uh, really grateful for you as a friend and thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm looking forward to continue deep in this uh, this brotherhood, man. Awesome. Yeah, much love, brother. And hope you guys enjoyed. Have a great day. Peace.